What's up, guys? This is Dave Duenas, and you're listening to Leave It In The Ring Network. Be sure you go to our YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, and hit that notification bell so you're alerted when we bring up new content on the YouTube channel. Right now, you're about to tune in to Hispanics Causing Panic. Thanks to those joining me live and to those that will be joining me and Chief Funky on Archive. Also, welcome everybody listening audio on the Leave It In The Ring Network. Follow me on Twitter at DStyleBoxing. Follow Chief Funky 84 on Twitter as well. We've got a great show for you. You know, Donair wants Rico a second time. Man, but he's got to get past Obali first for the WBC uh, Bantamweight Championship, a fight that was set. Unfortunately, COVID postponed that fight. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez against Gallo. El Gallo. Juan Francisco Estrada in a rematch this summer. Should be a good one. Uh, boxing is back June 9th. ESPN going hard. Uh, they're going to have fights on the 9th, the 11th, the 16th, the 18th, the 20th, so on and so forth. They're, they're coming back. They're coming strong. Uh, so we look forward to that, man. ESPN is televising a bunch of these fights. All right. Uh, Morales responds. We, we've been tracking this back and forth of Morales and and Juan Manuel Marquez. So we're going to, you know, touch on that as well. Morales did respond to Marquez. So, okay. We're also going to talk about the four most influential Mexican boxers of all time. Okay. So make sure you give us those names. And if you disagree, that's fine. Cause there's so many great names. Uh, so th- there's no right list, but we're going to talk about that as well. The key word is influential. Right, and this you are tuning to the Wednesday, June third edition, and we welcome everybody from the Leave It in the Ring Network, G Funky. Yeah, man, that's cool, man. Make sure you guys uh, check us out over there, man. Absolutely, check it out, man. Let's start off with this one. Nonito Donaire. He was on a PBC podcast, G Funky, and he was talking about how he would love to fight. Guillermo Rigondeaux a second time. And, you know, people have been talking Rigondeaux, you know, going after Monster. And he talked about how he's going Monster hunting. But if Nonito Donaire could get past, you know, the Frenchman Obali first for the WBC strap at Bantamweight, I mean, that's not a, that bad of a rematch, right? Donaire versus Rigondeaux. What do you think about that potential rematch? Well, here's what I say to that, man. Um, you know, Rigo. Since he lost to Lomachenko, moved back down where he's supposed to be, you know, and he's and he's you know won some fights um, in in pretty good fashion, in my opinion. But uh, you know, if I have to, if if I could stay consistent with some of the things that I've been saying since I've been on YouTube, you know, if a fight is close, I don't mind seeing a rematch or like a controversial fight. Most people think one guy won and the other guy got the victory. You know, they got to do it again in my book. You know, for me. That fight wasn't close, man, with Donaire and Rigo. I thought Rigo dominated that fight. He did get knocked down, but he got up, and, um, you know, he hurt Donaire in the last round of that fight. But, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll soften my stance for this one because history has shown there's, there's a lot of guys that ain't trying to get in the ring with Regan now at that weight class. I mean, that's the whole reason why he had to move up to 130 to fight Lomachenko. So... You know, if he can't get one of these Duke and Inui or um, anybody else that's that's around there, I would not mind seeing it again just because it's hard for this guy to get a fight, man. Even though he's getting older, people thinking that he's slowing down. I still don't see a lot of guys eager to get in the ring with Rigo. So if Donaire is one of those guys that's willing to give us that fight again, then, hey, I'll take it, man. But I would much rather see him go in there with a guy like Inui, to be honest with you. But And I'm talking about Rigo. Uh, and Don Eric, you know, if if he could get a rematch with Anui too, I would take that because I I thought that was a good good fight, close fight. Um, I thought Anui clearly won it though, but it was it was a close competitive fight. So either one, I'll take. But I I don't know, man. I don't know if he's really ready to get back in the ring with Rigo. I think at this point, Rigo is still much better than he is, even though they've gotten older. Yeah, that fight was seven years ago, man. Can you believe that? Seven yep. years ago. <laughs> so you know, hey, um, if it happens, it happens, man. I'm not gonna complain about it. 
Absolutely. Well, well, well said, man. Uh, here's what I will say. Rigandow, you know, people saying, I see him in the chat already, intangible boxing. He's old, he's style. He's got old legs on him. Lonito Donaire is looking good at this way. He might catch him. He might have a better shot this time. He might, you know, have a better shot against Rigandow this time, that is. And I understand everything you're saying, G-Funky. I understand you're saying the fight was, you know, one-sided. Here's what I'll say, though. Although Rigandow did outbox Donair, Donair did land some at points, and he did knock down Rigandow, uh, you know, later in that fight, in, you know, in the later rounds. So he's capable of dropping them. If, if Rigandow cannot move the way he was moving, and repeat how many years ago that was? Uh, seven years ago. Seven years ago, that was if Rigandel cannot move the same way, Nonito Donaire might catch him. I think this is a very interesting fight, and I believe Nonito Donaire deserves every right at this point to get that rematch and right his wrong. As big as I am on Rigandel, he has someone here that wants to fight him, and if Nonito Donaire can gain a strap against Obali. If he can do that, I see no reason why this fight cannot happen. That's just my opinion. That's how I feel about that. And I have to be honest, after watching the Monster Inouye fight, this might be a little bit of a halo effect or something, but I'm not going to count Donaire out. And look, this is not me Monday morning quarterbacking. When Ornithio Donaire was winning fight of the year, when Ornithio Donaire was being, you know, pumped up, I had Rigandel winning that fight before it happened. I felt he would outbox Donaire, and he did. So this is not coming from someone who originally thought Donaire would, you know, beat him. It's someone who, who did, you know, live videos and said Rigandel would win. This time around, I think Onito Donaire might get to him. I think Onito Donaire has a shot here, G-Funky. I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm just saying he has a very good shot and a better shot this time than he had all those years ago. And to that, you say what? Well, I would say, um, you know, I I was also one of those guys back in 2013 that was saying that Rigo was going to beat Donaire, even though a lot of dudes in the media were saying that Donaire was the number three guy behind Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao at the time. I was one of those rare guys. I made videos, and, and like like the young kids say nowadays, check the receipts. <laughs> I got the receipts on my channel. Anybody want to go back and look at it? it the prediction video is still up there. Um, I predicted Rigo to win. He got the win. And um, while I hear what you're saying, I just think stylistically, Rigo is a bad matchup for Donaire. Donaire is dangerous. Though because he's you know he's got fast hands he's he's a good counter puncher and we know he's got power in that left hand not to mention that right hand of his improved a lot that's the one thing that is a little concerning if they do have an, a second fight because at the time when they had the first fight Donaire to me was just a left handed guy he's just a one handed fighter at that time since then I've seen that right hand improve a lot and he landed right hands on Inui pretty regularly in that fight. And actually buzzed him in that fight with a right hand. But that's Inui, you know. And not to take anything away from him, he's nowhere near the defensive fighter that Rigo is. So I still think it would be a challenge for Donaire. Although he can land. We've seen him land on him. We've seen him drop him. Even though it was more of like a, a mistake, I guess you could say, that Rigo made. Uh, he tried to come in and clinch. And Donaire landed a shot as he came in to try to clinch him. And, you know... Dropped him. Uh, but to Rigo's credit, he got up and, um, you know, ended up hurting him pretty badly in that 12th round. But I just think that it's a bad matchup stylistically for a guy like Donaire, who himself gets hit an awful lot. So um, I see a lot of laser like right hands, I mean, left hands landing from Rigo. I see a lot of missing, but who knows at this advanced age that they're at, uh, anything could happen. But I would still favor Rigo but not as much as I did seven years ago. It's the, it's gotten, the gap's gotten a little bit closer for me at this point, but I was still roll with Rigo. 
Well, I got to say, here's where I think yourself and some others are a little mistaken. While Ringendow can still box, he can still move pretty decently, he fought the fight of his life against Donaire seven years ago. That was a fight, and he still got knocked down, bro. Like, Ringendow has slowed down a lot, in my opinion, since then. So, I think this fight's a lot closer than many people are, you know, giving it credit for, in my opinion. And it's a fight I'm interested to see. I want to see how Donaire would fare against Rigondeaux the second time around. And I know this. Rigondeaux's not going to start trading with Donaire like, like he has in some other fights. I know ING mentioned that in the chat. He's going to try and box Donaire. That's the way. That, that's the path to victory, right, to try and put on a boxing lesson. But even if he boxes, man, and moves, sticks and moves, you know, and, and gauges distance and, you know, and fights in that very, you know, polished and, you know, to, takes it to that Cuban school of boxing. Even if he does that, he's going to have more problems this time around than he did the first time around. Because the last thing to go on a fighter, Chief Bunky, and everybody listening, is power. All right, that's the last thing to go. And that power is still going to be there for Donaire. And I and he is going he landed in the first fight is that that was so many years ago he dropped Rigandau even though it was one-sided he still landed some. This time how's Rigandau a lot older now going to take those punches and I think he's going to get hit a little more. But that's how I personally see it. I'm interested to know what do you guys think. Let me know. Put it in the comment section. And that is that. All right. With that said, he fought Roberto Solis on the undercard of Russell Nyambayari. I remember that fight in Tangible Boxing News. I appreciate that. We're going to go ahead and say this. I mean, before we even talk about him fighting Reagan Dow a second time, G Funky, he's got to get past Obali first. And we know Obali put a stop to the double drag. You know what I mean? He beat the. Um, Monster Nui's brother, right? And uh, he looked really good in that fight. He looked really good. And I know we were talking about him fighting in a way, because that's, you know, I would like to love to see that. Uh, Monster in a way. However, do you believe Donaire will even get past the Frenchman and win that WBC strap in the first place before we even start talking about a Rigondeau rematch? Yeah, I think it's a good fight, man. Uh, and I do give him a chance because um, from what we saw from him in his last performance, he had uh, – it knew he reeling a little bit there. <laughs> I think it was round nine or something like that. I can't recall the actual round, but he had him hurt pretty badly, and he fought well. So, yeah, I give him a, a real good chance. So he deserves a shot either at Inouye or um, if, if Inouye doesn't want to give him a shot, then, you know, Donaire is there. He's clearly one of the best guys in that division at his advanced age. So. Why not? I think he's got definitely he's got the power in that left hand. And like I said, the improved right hand of, of Donaire has has, I think, really uh, been a big part of his longevity here to add something new to his game and not be such so dependent on his left hand all the time. So, you know, he's a dangerous guy, man, for any of these dudes until he decides to hang him up, I think. So he's I think he's got a good chance against the French guy, man. I really do. Right, straight out, man. This is the, the same night he beat. Takuma, in a way, which is the brother of Monster, in a way. All right. I do not know the nickname for those new to the show. We said Double Dragon because it was both the Inoue brothers. But, but with that said, when he won that championship, he was the WBC champion. And do you remember the the WBC? They wanted to give Monster, in a way, uh, like a belt. And in a way, said, nah, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I think, I believe it was like a diamond belt or something. He said, I don't want the belt. You know, he saw his brother get beat. He, he don't want that bell. He wants to beat the guy that beat his brother, right? So that's, that's that. Very, that's very respectable, too, especially the right. way that the WBC is handing out belts these days. You know, that's that's a very respectable thing of, of Inui, you know, to kind of say, you know what? Hey, I want to earn this thing. I don't want to hand it to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that that's that. We will see. I know the Ubali fight got postponed. It was supposed to happen, but COVID knocked all the fights. Okay, out, G-Funk. You know what I'm talking about? So, so mm -hmm. I mean, that that is that. Look, man, 
Chocolatito Roman Gonzalez versus Gallo Juan Francisco Estrada. They fought one time. Check out that fight if you haven't already. Uh, Roman Gonzalez did a win. It was a you know big big win for him. Uh, you know controversial in my opinion, but nonetheless he won that fight. It looks like you know we both know G Funky. We talked about it. I mean Chocolatito made a big comeback. Man looked spectacular in his victory. You know, a couple months back, and now uh, they're talking about him fighting Estrada, Juan Francisco Estrada, in a rematch this summer. I'm ex- if this is true, I'm definitely excited about that. This is reported by BatLeftHook.com. Chocolatito Gonzalez versus Juan Francisco Estrada. I think El Gallo gets him this time. I think Francisco Estrada beats him this time. Uh, I, he's in his stride, man. He's looking really good right now. And even though credit to Roman Gonzalez, he, he looked spectacular in his comeback. But I think it's going to make the victory a little sweeter for Francisco Estrada. Who do you think wins the rematch? Well, I thought that Estrada won the first time. But, you know, the thing with these little guys, man, I mean, these fights, they throw so many punches, they land so many punches. You know, it's its understandable how, you know, a lot of people can can think that uh, Chocolatito won the fight or uh, people thought Estrada won the fight. I personally think that it was a win for Estrada. And, and I agree with what you said. Right now, he's just, he's rolling right now. You know, he got that win over Sorong V-side. I thought he beat him the first time, too, but clearly beat him in the rematch. So, you know, I think he's rolling, man. Although, I must say, I must say, Chocolatito, in his return, he looked damn good, man. He looked damn good in there. I was real impressed with what I saw. Um, but if I didn't think he got him the first time, I don't think he's going to get him the second time. But I do think it's still going to be one of those fights, man. I just have a feeling it's going to be one of those fights where – we're going to have a lot of people saying this guy won, a lot of people saying this guy won. So if it is close, like I anticipate, we might be seeing I don't think it's going to be close. third. I don't think so either, man. I mean, I think it's going to be, again, one of those fights where just, you know, people, when they see it, you know, they're going to see a lot of punches thrown. But I think the more clean, decisive punches will be landed by Estrada. And, you know, I really, really like Estrada. Um, I think I know this might ruffle some feathers, man, but I think he's the best fighter out of Mexico right now um, with Canelo a close, close second, you know, but um, I really like Estrada and I think he's going to win this fight. Um, like I said, I thought he won it the first time. So, um, yeah, right. man, I like, so, it. I like the fight. Look, man, I'm just going to say it. Juan Francisco Estrada is going to beat his ass. Okay. <laughs> That's what I think is going to happen. That's what's going to happen. All right. I just think he's hit his stride right now. He's on a roll, man. He's looks so polished. He's real fluid, you know. And I think it's going to be too much for for Roman Gonzalez. Uh, I think I think it's a close fight for a couple rounds. I think it's a war for about five six rounds. And like you said, a lot of punches in his weight class. Guys just throw a lot of punches in general. But I think Juan Francisco Estrada right now will overwhelm, you know, Chocolatito and. And I think I think he stops him late, man, or just wins a you know a, a, a wide decision is what I think happens. That that's that's my prediction. That's what I think happens. You know what I mean? But I think it's going to be a good fight either way. All right. Now, with that said, man, you know boxing is going to be back June 9th. and ESPN, man, they're going hard. You know, they're coming back on the 9th. They're going to have a card on the 11th, the 16th, the 18th, the 20th. A lot of great dates. You know, ESPN's going hard, G-Funky. They're like, we, we don't have any, any other sports to show. Now that boxing's back, we're going to have it on like twice a week. You know, so well, what are your thoughts on, you know, they're, they're coming hard, man, with all these cards right now? I love it, man. I love it. I can't wait. I almost feel like... uh and this, this is a feeling I've never had with boxing because unlike the other sports, the major sports in this country, boxing doesn't have a season, you know, where they, you know, they play the season and then when the season's over, there's a long break and then they come back. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel right now about boxing. It's been gone for, what, four months now, I think, 
since no, February or March, month. something like that. March, yeah, okay. Um, I think it was month, last, yeah. yeah, like the last big fight was uh the Wilder. Um, well, Fury. that was the last big fight and all, but it yeah. was still it was uh, early. Yeah, there was March. some after. Either yeah. way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I got that feeling, man. Like uh, like when the NBA is getting ready to, you know, there's they got the preseason rolling, and you know, it's like oh, it's almost time, and you know, you're getting excited, like. I'm real excited, man. And you know what? I don't give a damn if there's no fans in the, in the arena. I just need to see the sport come back. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm just going to say this, man. I'm sick and tired of hearing fans complain about there not being any any fans allowed to go to these fights. I mean, number one, like we're still dealing with the COVID-19 thing, okay? And, you know, so you, we don't want that thing to get worse than it already is because, look, it's already put everything on hold for several months now. Um, but let's – these guys are acting like it's such a bad thing to not have anybody there. Like, I mean, how often do we watch major pay-per-views and the first the first or the second fight? Man, there's nobody there. Maybe like 50 people in, a, in a, an arena that holds like 20,000 people, you know? Like, so let's, let's not act like we haven't been through this before, you know? I mean, I know some of the fighters have said that, you know, they might not be able to get up for, for – you know, a fight where there's no fans, but you know what? If the record's on the line and your belt's on the line, I mean, you better get up, man. And I don't want to hear no excuses, you know? So I like it, man. I'm ready. I'm a junkie. I'm tying off. I'm ready, man. <laughs> I'm ready for my fix, you know? So I'm G Funk is pumped up, man. I, I can't wait. Yeah, man, I cannot wait for boxing to come back. I'm looking forward. I know Shakur Stevenson. Robesi Ramirez uh, are on the card on the ninth. Yeah, Mik uh, Mikaela Miller will be on there as well. People are not that excited about the actual fights, but, you know, let's just get the engine rolling first. You know, let's get the engine rolling. Let's see some fights first, and then we'll, we'll go from there, man. They, they have, like, two times a week this month. You know what I mean? They're going to have cards and people fighting. So let's just let the fights go go through, bro. Let's just let's just let the fight start. We're gonna get the big fights. We have guys like Errol Spence out here saying he wants a big name quick. Now, he, he doesn't want you know a tune up or anything like that. Well, what are your thoughts on that, Chief Funky? He just wants to go right in there. Man, I mean Earl, you know, he suffered that bad car accident after his um big victory over Sean Porter in a great, great fight. Um I don't know, man. I mean, if I'm if I'm his people in his in his corner, you know, in his camp, I, I personally I wouldn't just throw him right in there with a big name. I mean, that was a bad bad accident, and you know, thank God he came out, you know, safely. I mean, he suffered some injuries, but it could have been a, a lot worse. Like he, he could not even be here right now. So, you know, I would kind of test the waters first if I was him. But, I mean, they know him. He knows himself. I mean, if he says he's ready, then, you know, I have no choice but to believe him. But if it was me you know, and it was my career and I was running my career, I would definitely try to test the waters first against, uh, you know, just, you know, get myself a tune-up before I get in there with any big name. But, hey, if he comes back and fights somebody big, I'll be ordering it if it's on pay-per-view or, or wherever it's at. I'll be watching, man. So, but I hope he's making the right decision, man. I really do. Well, boxing will definitely be back. So, and I agree with you on your point about the crowd. I, like, well, what do people want? You know, so you prefer there being no boxing whatsoever. So, like, like you know, like what? Just you know, I'm not. I'm. And I don't want to be that guy that tells people, "Hey, just be happy with what you get." That's not who I am. I tell people all the time, demand the best fights. Don't settle for anything. Like so, I'm not trying to be that guy, right? But in this, this is a very extreme situation. So, you know, we need to get the jump start somewhere. Everyone's just trying to get a jump start in life right now. So let's just get boxing started, and then you know we'll go back to doing what we do as fans and demand the best fights, right? Let's do that. But let's get it started started first. You know, and I get it, Chicano Prophet. A good crowd does something for a live event. I get it, but at the end of the day, you want no boxing because there's no fans in the crowd, or you rather have some boxing. 
you know, so that's, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Now, yeah, and you know what else is cool too? I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but all this barking that you've been covering uh, these guys on Twitter, hey, it's time now, baby. It's time to put your money where your mouth is, you know? So we got to call these dudes out and we got to, you know, hold them accountable for their words on Twitter, man. Boxing's back. So let's get this thing on, man. Now, a lot of fighters have been talking a lot of shit, okay? <laughs> and, yeah. Well, we have the receipts of all the shit you talked. Like the cool kids say nowadays. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man. Uh, Eric Morales responds back to Juan Manuel Marquez. We've been doing like a like, – it's almost like every time I cover this – like the next day, somebody says something, you know, so we're just following this story as it progresses. And Morales responds to Juan Manuel Marquez now. <laughs> and Juan Manuel, you know, said, hey, I was ranked in those weight classes. I was there. Okay. Period. And furthermore, you know, he also talked about, hey, I, I'm not defined by a knockout punch. That's not what I'm defined by. I beat Pacquiao other times. They just wouldn't give me the decision, so that's why I had to knock him out. It's basically what he said, right? So Morales comes back and says, you didn't want to fight me, he said. He said, we offered the fight. So when I was a top rank, we offered the when he was a top rank. I mean, we offered the fight instead of fighting Maidana. I should have fought him. He didn't want to fight me. When I when I beat Conor for the championship, and I was it was supposed to be Juan Manuel Marquez, not Danny Garcia. He didn't want the fight. What do you say, G. Fucky? I think this is very entertaining for sure. Um, these two finally exchanging some words. I mean, yeah, it's through social media and, and you know, things like that, but it's fun. It's entertaining. Um, you know, I've always said this about um, those weight classes back in the day that Marquez was the guy who was, you know, on the outside looking in. You know, and that goes from my guy, uh, Barrera, too, who, you know, I was a fan of his back then. Um, but I, I honestly believe that these dudes didn't want no smoke with Marquez back then, man. I mean, I'm just that's just the way I felt about it. Now. Later in Morales' career, I know he's saying he should have instead of fighting Danny Garcia, it should have been Marquez. I mean, Marquez was in the middle of a of a, of a thing with, with, with Pacquiao at the time, you know, he was chasing Pacquiao all around the world, trying to get him to get in the ring again. <laughs> so, I mean, it would, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I mean, I don't know. There's no really, I guess there's really no way to know for sure that they offered him the fight. Then it would make sense to me that, that Marquez probably, if there was an offer, he probably turned it down. He's like, look, I'm trying to fight this guy, you know, like this dude owes me, you know, he's been robbing me. He owes me. So I'm going after him. But I, I honestly believe that if if he would have got in the ring with both of those guys back in the day when, when they were, you know, early 2000s, I'd say, I honestly think he beats them both. I think they're they're really good fights. I mean, he we we know he beat Barrera. That was a little bit later in Barrera's career. But I still think he would have beat him back, um, back then, too. I mean, that's just the way I feel about it. But we'll never know, man. We'll never know um, the truth of what happened back then, why he never got a shot at those dudes. But I just remember I was, even though I was a Barrera fan in the early, early part of the century, once Marquez finally got him in the ring, I was, I was rooting for Marquez that night because I felt like he finally got a shot at this dude, you know, at one of those big names from Mexico, you know, to try to uh, solidify himself as one of the best Mexicans of the era, along with Morales and Barrera, the, all three of them are all great. It's just too bad we couldn't get them all in the ring around that time when they should have, you know. So that's that's my take on it, man. So the prophet says Morales now that Marcus is held in a higher esteem in the retirements and he can't handle it. Mm. Man, intangible boxing news is Eddie Morales is one of my favorite fighters, and I love that dude. 
All right, get this smoke, says Morales versus Juan Manuel Marquez. Fire. What's up to Drew Titan? How's it going? Chicano Prophet says, I remember they lately negotiated very late in their careers. And if I remember, they could uh, they could could not agree to wait, and the negotiations never got serious. According to Morales, okay, this dude was ducking them, bro. You know what? I believe Morales, you fucking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean, we'll never know, I, man, I for know. sure. But I, I think here's and here's the truth, bro. In all seriousness, I think Marquez, he just had like no offense to Morales, and and believe me, I mean no offense to him. Uh, Marquez just had bigger fish to fry at that point. What had Morales really done? If you, when you think about it, he was coming off two losses in a row to Pacquiao. He had that. Um, you know, lost to David Diaz out of a Chicago. He had a loss, you know. Yeah, that, and that's about it. Like, really? When he came back against Maidana, no one took that fight serious, bro. No, nobody was saying, dude, I remember people forget this. Like, anytime there's a great fight, sometimes people forget what they were saying about that fight, if you get what I mean. Like, people were saying, me included, this, this fight's a joke. Uh, Morales at 140, a career featherweight, you know, you know, fighting at, you know, Maidana 140. He looked at her. She had love handle. We're like, this is terrible. He's going to get destroyed. And then he comes out and he shocks the world. I thought he won that fight against Maidana. But you think Marcus is going to get any credit if he fought that Morales? No. You know what I mean? Like, Marcus had bigger fish to fry at that point, bro. He was chasing Pacquiao, who was hot, bro. People were telling him, Marcus, he had no business in the ring with Pacquiao, but he wanted that smoke. That dude was wanting all that smoke, bro. He was barbecuing, okay? And <laughs> then let's, he beat Cesar Cano, which, which I get was a really good win for Morales, especially at that age, okay? But, like, I mean, he beat Cano better than Mosley did. Um, and Cano fought Mosley like a little after that. Which is interesting, but I mean, he won a title, right? Uh, you know, at one forty against Cesar Cano. But was anyone really going to take Marquez fighting him at that point serious? No. Like, what, what do you remember? Like, what was your perception of Morales at that point, G Funk? From what you remember, I want to chat to tell me what do you remember about Morales at that point? To me, he was a, a Way past his prime fighter to me. I agree. Um, definitely well past his prime. Although um, you still seen flashes of El Terrible, you know, when he was in there. Um, but just not consistently like we've seen during his prime. Um, man, you know, I, I it was a good, good fight with Maidana, man. And I might have to agree with you. I'm going to have to go back and watch that fight again. But, man... That was a good, good, close fight, man. That might be one of those fights I'm going to have to sit back and watch tonight while I'm on quarantine, you know? <laughs> Go back and watch that thing. But, um, no, you've seen Morales do some really good things uh, later in his career out of his prime, you know? So, um, but, yeah, man, at that point, I mean, what, a victory over – I mean, if, if Marquez gets in there and he, and he most likely beats him at that point, um. I don't think he gets much credit for it, you know? So No, he doesn't get credit for it. No you know? Yeah, yeah. So I have to disagree with you, G-Funky. I don't think he did great things um, later, like past his prime. I think, you know, he had a little bit of a Cinderella story, but at the end of the day, he didn't win. People forget it. He didn't win the Maidana fight. He lost. I thought he won, but it's relevant. He lost that fight, right? And then... He beat Cano, but then that, that was literally like his last win. You know? I don't know about literally, but what I mean is his last notable win. And then he 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 had a good performance against a young Danny Garcia, you know, and won a couple rounds, but I don't like for me, I'm not gonna say that was great. Like he did something great. To me, that just means that like, he hung in there against a much young, uh, against a younger fighter, uh, a guy who was natural to that weight class compared to him, and then he got knocked down late in that fight. I just think it was a. It's kind of like if, you know, it's it's kind of like just like an like 
I guess to say he did better than expected, but he didn't do great things though. Like, what great things did he do? He lost to David Diaz. Like, what what great wins did he have? I should ask. Did he have any great wins? No, no, I don't think he had any great wins. Um, but I just want to kind of clarify what I meant by I want to say great things. Like, it's kind of like this. Like, if I could compare it to another sport, like we see guys like for the NBA example. When we see guys that are great, like when they were in their prime, they were considered, you know, one of the best, like like Morales was. Um, mm-hmm. And then they stick around, you know, they, they're still able to play, but you could tell they're not the same, you know. Every now and then you'll see flashes of them. Like they'll have a game where they score like 40 or something like that when they've been scoring like right. – 10 to 12 every night for the rest of the season. You know, they'll have like a, you know, a handful of games where they, they just kind of go off and you see that greatness, you know, that, that they have it come out um, every now and then. So that's, that's kind of what I meant, you know, was when we seen him against, like, like you said, he had moments against Danny Garcia, a young Danny Garcia. Um, He did very well against Marcos Maidana. So, I mean, that, that's that's kind of what I was what I was kind of saying about that. You know, like, did he have any great wins, though? No, he didn't. But that Madonna fight's the de- debatable, you know, if you want right. to, you know, look at it. But he still didn't get the win. But, you know, he did show some flashes. That's that's kind of what I meant. Well, he showed flashes, but, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I still wouldn't categorize that as he did great things. Uh, I guess he had great moments. And, and if, you know, if the judges – you know, this is where judges play such a pivotal role. If the judges give him the nod against Maidana, man, dude, that, that's like the comeback of the year type win. That's mm-hmm. a huge one. He could retire right there. That'll be historic, especially after seeing what Maidana did later on, like beating Broner, uh, giving Mayweather a hell of a fight in the first fight, and um, even stunning Mayweather in the second fight. Like, imagine if Morales has that win and retires with that. Not that he would. I mean, he didn't retire after the loss, but, you know, it, it just, you know, the course of history didn't quite go his way. And I think he stayed, he was one of those fighters that stayed around a little too long. And it's unfortunate, but that's how I see it. And and back to the point, I don't think, you know, him pointing out the fact that they offer Marquez these fights or it's just, it's not like to me, we should be talking about when you guys were in your prime and you were at 126 pounds. Why don't you fight Marcus then? I think that should be the, the discussion. You know, when, when Marcus and Nacho bring up, hey, we were the number one contender. We, we were told we we're going to be the mandatory, and they, they switched it on us you know, without telling us. And you're going to fight Pauli Ayala. Nothing against Pauli Ayala. Great fighter. Big win for Morales. But th- those are things that Morales has not addressed, you fucking. He hasn't addressed those things. He's talking about later in his career. Yeah. That's very true, and that's why um, when Marquez finally got his shot, um, you know, against um, – he didn't get Morales, but he got his hands on Barrera and um, beat Barrera. So I was very happy that night that he beat him because, um, you know, because there there was a, a rivalry there between the three, the three good guys out of Mexico at the time. Um, and then he got his chance against Pacquiao, you know, and we saw what he did there. So – yeah, it's really should be why didn't the fight happen at 126, you know, when you guys are all in your prime. Same thing with Barrera. I got to call you out, too. You know, even though I was a Barrera fan back then. But Barrera hey, fought him. Barrera fought him. He fought him. He fought him, but it was later, later on, than, later than it should have been. You know, I think those guys should have fought, like you so said, much. at 120. Yeah, I think they should have fought at 126, nah. man. Well, I mean, I, I hear you, but they, they were still pretty good fighters still when they fought, I think. You know what I mean? So, Well, you know, the reason why I say this is because – I don't know if you were, I'm not saying you were saying this, but there was people that I know personally that were saying, well, Barrera, you know, he already got beat by Pacquiao, you know, like, right. <laughs> so, you know, they were already kind of hating on Mar- Marquez before the fight even happened, you know? So that's gotcha. why I wish it would have happened before this way. There'd be no excuse, you know? Absolutely. I mean, people will always say that, right. You're coming off, you know, several fights ago, a loss or something. I hear you, man. Absolutely. You guys are tuning in to the Wednesday, June 3rd edition of Hispanics Cause and Panic. Make sure you throw a jab at the like button. All right. The foremost influential Mexican fighters of all time. 
of all time, de todos los tiempos, all right? Now, before we start the list, this is, for the most part, subjective, guys, all right? So if you personally have a fighter that you believe was more influential, I get it and I welcome I welcome the discussion. I welcome any knowledge anybody wants to share. I welcome you guys posting about it. I welcome the discussion. A lot of great fighters in the history of Mexico. Now, this is fighters straight out of Mexico, right? We can make, make shirt out of that, straight out of Mexico. But anyway. Los cuatro Aztecas. People, because Chicano Prophets, who, who is in the chat, G-Funky, he wanted a Mount Rushmore. You know what I mean? But that doesn't sound right, bro. They four Mexican fighters, the Mount, give me a Mount Rushmore. You know what I mean? I don't know about that, but we're going to give you those cuatro Aztecas, the four most influential. Now, the key word is influential, not so much the best or Something like that, you know, and, and we kind of came up with this list, and, and we hope you guys can respect it. I'd like to hear what you guys agree or disagree with. Uh, share it in the chat, comment section, or whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, but let's go ahead and get this started, G-Funky. We talked about this list earlier. So the four most influential Mexican boxers of all time. I'm going to have to start with this one. This guy rarely gets talked about, and, and it was a big essential part of – of Mexican boxing. Uh, he was featured a lot in like uh, in, uh, the ring in Espanol magazine for a reason. He was a Mexican welterweight champion in the days where that meant something. You know, there was a time where being the champion of your country, you had to become the champion of your country before you could even, you know, step onto the world stage. Nowadays, not so much, but that's okay. Luis Villanueva, Parano, Kid Azteca is what he's best known as, man. He fought from 1932 to 1961, 29 years he fought out of Mexico City, 192 wins, 47 losses, 11 draws, 114 wins coming by way of knockout. I mean, dude, 114 dudes got knocked out. That's a lot of fighters to knock out. All right, we don't even have fighters fight that many times now. This guy has more knockouts, right? Than you know, a lot of people have fights. So, with that said, Chief Funky, what's your thoughts on you know the Mexican welterweight champ, bro, Kid Azteca, and his influence in Mexican boxing? Very influential, man, uh, and very rarely talked about too which is kind of a crime you know uh, us boxing fans we got to do a little bit better job than that uh we've already done a show we featured him on the uh, top 11 uh mexican fighters of all time make sure you guys go back and check that out if you haven't seen it but um yeah man to have 252 fights total and to almost have 200 wins and like you said Knocked out over a hundred guys, 114 guys. Like I don't, I don't think there's many men on this planet that can say that they've knocked out 114 guys in their lifetime. You know, man, uh, I, I, I'm almost there, G Funk. <laughs> he's still catching up. You know, he's, he's right on him. You know, but um, what's crazy is, I mean, the name Kid Azteca. I mean, this guy really is like an Aztec warrior, man. I mean, to have that many fights, 250 fights in your career, and still live to be 88 years old, that is, man, credit to him and his longevity in life, man. And going through all those fights um, and fighting for almost 30 years, man, like an amazing, amazing feat, man, an amazing fighter and definitely, definitely deserves to be uh, in the top, in the discussion as the top most influential boxers ever come out of Mexico, man. Absolutely, man. And you got to keep in mind, you know, he's fighting in an era where, I mean, there was really, there was only like, you know, eight divisions. There was only, you know, one champion per division for the most part, right? Exceptions mm -hmm. here and there. But, you know, he, that when people, you know, look at guys like Kid Azteca and, you know, 
try to compare him with modern day fighters, like more modern day, you know, guys that have won multiple world championships when there's like four or five championships and like double the amount of weight classes and regular belts and super belts. It's just not, it's not a good way to assess things at all. You know, I mean, this is a guy that was ranked up there for years and brought a lot of attention, you know, to, to Mexican boxing and to Mexico and deserves to be on this list. Like his name will forever be Edson Stone. All right. And with, I mean, and he's kid Azteca. How doesn't he make the Cuatro Aztecas? You know what I mean? He's got to be there. Yeah. Uh, but shout out to him. Here's a second name. My grandfather's personal favorite fighter. Right. And, and get the smoke mentioned the name, but Ruben. Olivares, also from Mexico City, by the way, 89, 13-3, and get this, you funk, of his 89 wins, 79 were by way of knockout. That This guy's not a heavyweight. This guy, he was a, a bantamweight and a featherweight. And, and 79 of his victories out of 89 wins was by knockout. I mean, just, I mean, this, he was a puncher. He could crack, to say the least. Right? At Bantamweight, man, he was 50 0 and 1 when he fought for the championship. Won, of course. Right? But, I mean, this was, you know, a fighter, man. At Bantamweight was a beast. Most of his losses came when he moved up to Featherweight, which, by the way, he still won the championship. Twice, right? Now, this time you had the WBA, the WBC. Like They were starting to kind of, you know, have more bouts at this point. Which Maybe that's why he won the title at Featherweight. But nonetheless, if they give credit to the guys today, you got to give him credit for that too. And I'm telling you, man, he, he – most of the losses were later in his career. And, you know, so, so don't let, like, you know, a lot of – Guys, they, they let losses, you, you know, get in the way of kind of analyzing these fighters. But Ruben Olivares, great fighter, big puncher, good boxer. Uh, how, how do you see uh, – what are your thoughts on Ruben Olivares, you funky? Well, man, I don't know how I could follow up uh, what you just said, man. I mean, listening – I mean, listen to this, guys. I mean, I'm going to say it, and, and if anybody wants to call me out on this later on, I don't give a damn. I consider Ruben Arivares the greatest bantamweight fighter ever, in my opinion. Um, like you said, man, those those type of knockouts they don't come in those weight lower weight classes like that, man. This no. dude was putting people to sleep, you know, in his prime. And like you said, moved up to featherweight, even fought a super featherweight um, later in his career. But yeah, I mean, he's he's another guy over a hundred fights. Um, almost 80 knockouts on his record <laughs> for a guy who fought his career at bantamweight and featherweight. Like that is just that's crazy, man. That is insane. And um, yeah, and um, he was the uh, the the first, I think. I don't know. I don't know if he was the first or not, but I know that he was called the El Gran Campeón Mexicano before Julio Cesar Chavez. So you know, shout out to Ruben Olivares, man, the greatest bantamweight of all time, in my opinion. Well, the the reality is, El Gran Campeón Mexicano, it wasn't like a in-ring nickname. Like, it's not something you walked out to the ring, and that's what they called you by the announcer. Uh, the smart thing Chavez or his people did, you know, is, um, I guess you could say, market the Gran Campeón Mexicano thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, his nickname was El Puas. So there you go. Um, shout out to Get the Smoke. But yeah, Ruben Olivares, man, great fighter. I, I remember my grandfather always, you know, telling me about Ruben Olivares. And yeah, one thing he would say is this is what he would say. He was like, Ruben Olivares was like a reincarnation of Pajarito Moreno, but with better boxing skills and a better chin. You know, 
Because mm. uh, Pajarito Moreno could punch hard. You know what I mean? But he didn't have a chin. Like, all his losses were right. Like, he would get caught and get knocked out. And uh, he was an okay boxer, but not, not, he wasn't as scientific as a Ruben Olivares. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Ruben Olivares, man, what that could say, I mean, just razor sharp. I mean, this, this guy was razor sharp in the ring. And I think part of the reason he has so many knockouts is because of how razor sharp he was in, in that ring, man. And for him, again, I got to remind people, I mean, to go from bantamweight to featherweight and still become world champion, still have great fights. And, you know, he got older, obviously, so he started losing later on in his career. Uh, we see that a lot, you know, but. You got to respect that, man. You know, he could have just fought a bantamweight chief Funkin and call it a day and just, you know, retire as possibly the best bantamweight of all time. But, you know, he still moved up to featherweight. Look, look, look at his record, bro. A lot of his early wins, a lot of his, I'm sorry, a lot of his knockouts were early. You know, he would knock dudes out cold early. And why do I say that? A lot of stoppages in the lower weight classes are from accumulation from beating guys up for, in the course of action. And and he did have those type of wins too, but a lot of wins, you funky first round, second round knockouts when he moved up in weight. Uh, that's amazing. All right. I mean, that, that's some Mike Tyson type shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> All right. But uh, let's go ahead and to the next one. Like like nobody knows what we're gonna say, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you said it, you you said his name, Chief Funky, yeah. El Gran Campeón Mexicano. Do do you always hear Jimmy Lennon's voice when you say that? Every hear. every single time. <laughs> El Gran Campeón Mexicano. I, I I can't get that voice out of his head, bro. I always think of Jimmy Lennon Jr. when he says it. Okay, uh, I mean. El Leon de Culiacan, bro, right? Before they called him Gran Campeón Mexicano. They also call him JC Superstar, right? But but again, very smart to, to make him El Gran Campeón Mexicano. You know what I mean? About what you fuck you, did your grandfather tell you that? That, that Ruben Olivares is a real Gran Campeón Mexicano? <laughs> How'd you know that one? Because <laughs> that's my grandfather always told me that. <laughs> hey man, you know it. It's oh, Olivares. Olivares is a good one. Yeah, although my my grandfather loved Chavez too. Uh, I mean, don't get it wrong, he loved Chavez also, but you know he he just thought Olivares was better. Um, but yeah, you, yeah. You, I mean, you have to put Chavez on this on this list, man. Um, Azteca, bro, check it out. Now he's from. Hulacan, as I mentioned, 107. Okay, six losses, two draws, 89 wins coming by way of knockout. He had, he had as many knockouts as Olivares had wins. Okay, uh, but he was uh, 89 and 0 when he got beat. Although many would argue, I get it about Whitaker, right? That was a draw, but nonetheless, uh, the feat is still there. I mean, this is still very impressive. Right. What do you remember about Julio Cesar Chavez? Because to me, bro, let me let me tell you this. I grew up thinking Chavez was like a superhero, bro. I, I thought this guy was invincible. Right. I did. Like you know what the first fight? Ask me what the first fight I ever seen. You probably already know, but <laughs> this time, which was the first Julio Cesar Chavez fight you seen. Well, the first fight I ever seen, period. Period. The first fight I ever seen, I ever seen. Period, was Chavez Taylor. The first fight I ever saw that I remember watching. I was at my uncle's house. I was sitting down, my back laid against the sofa. My dad sitting on the sofa above me, and we're watching this fight. Right, and I, I still remember, like when I sat down, I was a little kid, and, and my my dad goes, "Andale, vamos a ver el boxeo para que te hagas hombre." Like we're gonna watch boxing, so you can become a man. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm watching this fight, bro, and I'm amazed at what I'm seeing. But like, like they couldn't make a movie that good. And regardless how you feel about the dramatic end, since I was a kid used to watching movies, I almost expected that to happen in a weird way. I was just a naive little kid that just expected 
Chavez, the protagonist, to come from behind and win in the end. And that's exactly what happened. So, so, so my high and my love for boxing started right then and there. And Chavez would not be loved in Mexico at first. And he just wasn't. But once he established himself as a man in Mexico, and as he started to continue win after win after win, once that he once he won that magic Tater fight, he went from being a very big star in Mexico to the mega star. That's when he really became El Gran Campeón Mexicano, and that's that. But uh, what do you remember about Chavez, bro? Man, very very similar things um, for me. You know, always watching fights with the family, with Chavez. Um, you know, I was a big Chavez fan. I mean, the guy, is, I mean, he's just, he's just one of the greatest, man, to come out of Mexico. I mean, he's won world titles in three different weight divisions, um, over 100 victories in his career. And like you said, 89 and 0. I mean, that's. That's that's insane, man. To hear somebody actually was eighty nine and zero at one point, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that Taylor fight was that was the high profile fight for him, his very first one. Um, I mean, some might argue other guys before were big fights too, but no, but this was the one because you know Taylor, Melzer Taylor was a, an Olympic gold medalist. Um, you know, very fast hands, and Chavez was the guy from Mexico. Um, just, just a what hell of a fight, man! I, I enjoy watching that fight, um, even though there was a lot of controversy at the end of it. Um, still, a hell of a fight, um, and that's really, yeah, you're right. That's really what put him on the map because it was a huge fight here in the United States. Um, so, you know, Chavez is on the big stage here, uh, got the victory. I mean, I know it was controversial. Uh, they got in there and fought again, and I mean Taylor was just—I mean that wasn't Melzer Taylor, you know—in that second fight. Um, but you know Chavez, I—I I was a big fan of his. Uh, I, I was in complete shock when Randall beat him. You know, shout out to Frankie the Surgeon Randall. You know, <laughs> um, he was a hell of a fighter too back in the day. But I was—I mean, I was young, so I mean, I was really in shock that he lost. You know, because because like you said, he had that—that that, he was like an invincible guy, like nothing. The guy was never hurt, never knocked down, never lost. You know, he's always punishing guys. And I mean, it was just shocking for me as a little kid to see him finally lose. But, um, yeah, you can't have any, any kind of list naming top Mexican fighters without mentioning. And what, Campeon. <laughs> what makes him influential is not just that he won and, and all that. Like what makes these guys inf- like kid Azteca, right? Like he was that one guy that helped really help propel and put you know Mexican boxing on the map. And then you have you know Urban Olivares, who really was one of those first like really dominant fighters and a big puncher at a very low weight class. And you know, like you said, right? Like our grandfather talked about how he was a real Gran Campeón Mexicano. Like he was big. He was a big star. You know. And then of course you have you know Chavez who started that pay-per-view kind of revolution with Don King and he was a big star, bro. Like people forget that like Chavez was selling like, you know, closed circuit and, you know, like doing like pretty close to like pay-per-view numbers, you know, and, and making a lot of money and a lot of like when the millions were coming in that like the big pockets for the, you know, at the time, 140 pounds, was not that normal. And, and the big paydays came and that that's what made him very, very influential, you know, in my mind, and was you became one of those staple, you know, HBO fighters. Salvador Sanchez. The only time Salvador Sanchez lost anything to Puerto Rican was when the mariachi band lost to the salsa band. I got to keep it real. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but he avenged. He avenged the mariachis in the Gomez fight. But Salvador Sanchez, we all know, you know. Was a great fighter. You know, his victory, 15th round knockout over Zuma Nelson, coming back from behind against possibly the greatest African fighter of all time, you know, destroying Little Red Lopez. I mean, uh, he, he made Little Red Lopez's red face look more red, <laughs> right? If that's possible. And of course, I mean, of course, the Gomez win. Goes without saying that that Mexico Puerto Rican rivalry, you know, 
that that's possibly the biggest win ever. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, Gomez is coming off, you know, defeating, you know, Pintor in, in, a, in a hell of a fight, by the way. You know, and it was knocking out Mexican after Mexican almost. So, so for him to defeat Gomez, who was moving up from 122 to challenge him for his 126 strap at featherweight, that, that was a big moment. And to dominate made it even sweeter. But what makes him, like, we know he's good. Like, we know he had the skill. What made him influential was, you know, even though he died young, he reminded everybody that no matter how young a fighter is, it's never too early to be great. It's never too early to do great things. Today we keep hearing about, oh, this guy, he's only 26 years old. Give him some time. Sanchez was young when he died, 23, when he died. All the great things he did was in a two-and-a-half, three-year span. When you look at that resume, it's unbelievable we fought. Chief Funky, what are your thoughts on Salvador Sanchez? Yeah, a lot of great things accomplished in a very short life. Um, at 23, I mean... He was already the WBC and lineal featherweight champion. Um, and like you said, um, beating Azuma Nelson in a fight that he was down in, you know, coming back. Um, but, yeah, that that Gomez fight, man. I mean, anytime I hear my older relatives talk about that fight, I mean, that's that's like the one. That's the one that they always – they're like, man, like we were all – everybody was so pumped up. Because you know, the, you know the rivalry between you know the Mexicans and the Puerto Ricans. It's a it's a big deal, especially in boxing. And um, you know, I remember listening to my dad and his friends like when I when I started hosting fight parties in my place, talk about like, man, I remember when Sanchez and Gomez were fighting. Like the streets were empty here in, in the town because everybody's watching the fight. And you know, we were talking some shit, you know, because because Puerto Ricans are always saying, oh, Gomez, he's He's the best pound for pound, you know, and no way Sanchez is going to beat him. But then Sanchez knocks him out, dominates him, you know. Um, man, what a great fighter. And um, just, man, taken to us far too soon, man. Like you said, all of like his resume at the age of 23, like, man, just imagine if he would have fought, fought on. And, and you know, the, the tragic accident didn't happen. You know, just imagine. Yeah what he could have done, man. Just unbelievable, man. It's almost like, like, I feel like, like me being a musician, a guitarist, when I talk about a guy like Sanchez dying so young and just trying to imagine what he could have been, it's almost like the way I speak about Jimi Hendrix. Like just imagine what Hendrix could have done if he would have stayed alive. Like, cause he was the, in my opinion, the most influential guitarist ever. I mean, geez, it's just, it's crazy to think about what could have happened, man. But Rest in peace to Salvador Sanchez. Um, in my opinion, the best fighter out of Mexico, and and he's definitely one of the most influentials also, man, because he's got the biggest victory in the Mexico versus Puerto Rico rivalry, in my opinion. That's a big win. Big win, especially when you look at the bodies that Gomez was leaving behind, bro. That's mm -hmm. what made it sweet. You know what I mean? When you look at the atmosphere, man, you don't see atmospheres like that anymore. And I know Chicano prophets over here. What about the new guys? Like, bro, like I'm telling you right now, man, you cannot buy, create uh, that that an atmosphere like that has to be organic. That's what it has to be. It has to be organic, bro. And I'm telling you right now, man, what that atmosphere in that win was big, but. Aside from that, you know, you know, for him to accomplish so much when he was so young and and just just go for greatness. You know, remember that you can die any day. You, know, you don't know what you're gonna see tomorrow. You don't know if tomorrow's gonna come. So reach for the stars today if you want to achieve greatness. And that's what he did, you know, to his credit. Uh to, to answer to um Big Dog Willie. Salvador Sanchez, he's not my favorite fighter of all time. I'm just keeping it real. My favorite fighter of all time is Eric Morales, right? But 
Uh, Salvador is definitely up there for sure. But with that said, T-Funky, give us some final words. Well, this is a great conversation, man. And I, I like these kind of conversations because they are subjective. Um, and, you know, we I like to hear different people's opinions on these things. Um, so it's it's a great conversation to have. Anytime you do lists like this, top whether it be top fighters or most influential or, you know, hardest punchers or, you know, whatever the, whatever the list is, you know, they're always fun to do. Um, super excited that boxing is coming back. Can't wait, man. Um, you know, I've, I've been in my new place now for almost two months and I haven't had a chance to host a fight party, <laughs> you know, so I'm super pumped about that. Inviting some family over once the quarantine gets lifted and watching some fights. Um, and, you know, it's just I'm just glad to be back talking boxing, man. I, know I had a miss last week for, um, you know, situations. Um, but, you know, it's all good, man. I'm glad to be back. And as always, I want to thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you guys in the chat for hanging there with us and uh, talking some boxing with us, man. Make sure you hit that like button and, uh, you know, continue to support D-Style Boxing, man. He's doing his thing, man. So thank you. All right, absolutely. And uh, Aaron brought up a really good point. Rosario is the one who made Chavez wear the red, um, you know, thread or the, you know the bandana on the forehead for brujeria. Yeah, yeah, man. That's where that's uh, that's really influential because now you see a bunch of Mexican fighters wearing that red bandana and stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean, we we always got the answer for the brujeria. Bro. You know what I mean? Like like brujeria, we got shit. Like, <laughs> like if you go Mexican, you got all types of counters. You know, we're, like in Mexican culture, we're like counter punches against brujeria. And I mean, like, like so bring on the brujeria, all right? Oh, we got a counter punch for that. Uh, but yes, uh, we cannot forget the red bandana for sure. With that said, guys, this is D style boxing. And for G Funky, uh, what do we say, G Funk? Keep it boxing. Keep it boxing. We're out.